now we're recording. Now that Fred's finished making fun of me, <laughs> we can start. Hello. <laughs> Speaking the truth. Have I become your enemy because I tell you to do that? All right, 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now, I don't know if any of you, I'm sure you've already all read my blog from the other day. <laughs> you just wait for it to come out every Friday, I know. Um, but I actually wrote on uh, the first verse of Psalm 18, which is pretty much the same as 2 Samuel 22, though there are some differences. Um, and I won't retell you my blog, you'll have to go read it. I call it a teaser. <laughs> uh, but there are some differences, and, and from my reading, I'm not really sure if anybody knows for sure why there's differences. Uh, some think that perhaps David wrote one of these, and then maybe later on in life or at a different time or for a different circumstance kind of rewrote it again, you know, but wrote it for whatever he was going through at that time. And to me that makes sense. I hadn't really thought of it that way. But we all kind of change as we go through life and because of circumstances, situations, whatever happens that comes into our life, we can revisit who we were in the past, but we're different now. And so what we're trying to manifest or present comes through a different hue. And that may be part of the reason why there's some differences. There's not too many. Um, but we're not going to get into Psalm 18. We're going to look at 2 Samuel 22. For me, this chapter was almost, in a good way, sensory overload. There is just so much in this chapter. It's like every verse is packed full. I've read it four times within probably the last five or six days. I, I just couldn't get out of it. And I think part of the reason for that was this was like I hit an oasis. Because we've, we've, we're past 2 Samuel 11 where there's a David and Bathsheba and Uriah being sent to his death, the baby dies. It's just like the snowball started at the top of the hill and it's just rolling down gathering momentum and it's this huge thing ready to crash at the bottom you know so you, you go through all of that and then you hit 2nd Samuel chapter 22 and it's like wow you know for me it was like I need this and so I've just been kind of trying to absorb it I guess spend time in it meditate on it meditate through it and you may be the same way but you read something through maybe one day and if you happen to revisit it the next day, you see different things. And so I, I just wanted to spend some time in it for my own benefit because I love it. I just, I think this is an awesome um, psalm of praise by David. Now I've entitled this God and Me. And part of the reason I've done that is, um, and don't quote me on this because I'm never very good at counting like I did for this. Um, so, but I think me is mentioned 37 times. I counted twice. It always makes me think of when I, a place I worked in Arizona, my boss and I, we had to go around and count all the cubicles. We probably did it a piece three or four times, and we never got the same numbers. You know, he thought I was crazy the first time we did it. 
I did it, you know. Then I, 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 I knew I'm going to miss something. Somebody comes and talks to you or whatever. So I went and did it again. I think I did it a third time. I said, Taylor, every time I do this, I get a different number. He's looking at me. Well, how hard can it be? You know, that's what you would think. How hard can it be? So I said, well, come on and you count. So he counted, counted again, counted again. It's like we, so he, we finally took a number and went with him. I don't do well when I have to count these, how many times is a word used in a chapter. But I think it's used 37 times. You can double check me. So, so there's a lot of meat in this psalm. And so that's why I entitled it God in Me. Because as I said in my blog, we're kind of getting, at least as I see it, sort of a, a window into, or an open door into David's life that we might not have gotten at any other time. And so this is, to me, it's, this is David being very personal. This is something that he's pouring out for God. Um, you know, maybe at some point it, it, it became to where now we put it out there for everybody to see. But um, I, I just really love the Psalms. Uh, that David wrote, and as I said in my blog, of course I said I wasn't going to tell you anything in it, but I decided at some point, this has been a while ago, to just read just the Psalms of David. And it was very, very revealing. If you just go through and read the Psalms of David and the ones that others might feel are attributed to him, I don't know about you, but I came away with a totally different perspective, which is, this guy has some problems. <laughs> you know, if you read his Psalms, you come away realizing, wow, he's human, you know, he's very real. And so, well, I'm blabbing too much and I haven't even got started. So, anyway, I, I, I love this. I love this. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I don't know. I'm going to try to make it through. It's going to be slow at the beginning, but as we get towards the end, it kind of goes quicker. And I'm going to try to get through it. I thought about actually setting a timer for myself, but then I'd be too self-conscious. I'd be looking at the timer and I wouldn't think so. I'm going to try to keep it within reason today. Now, as I was thinking about this title that I came up with, this hymn came to my mind, which I really, really loved. I know I've probably said this a million times. I, I think it's a shame that we've kind of thrown out hymns. Um, I understand part of the reason why we don't want to sing some of the hymns. I think if we just change the words like we do for some other songs, you know, we could probably do it unto Yeshua just fine and nobody would know the difference. Um, but Steve, some of these hymns are just awesome. So there's this hymn, My God and I. Some of you might know it. But I just wanted to read it to you to give you kind of the feel for the mindset I want us to have as we look at this psalm, God and me. My God and I go in the fields together. Now, every time I'd sing this psalm, I'd, uh, song, I'd say, I want this to be me. It hasn't quite been, but I love what it's saying. My God and I go in the fields together. We walk and talk, as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadows, hue. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadows, hue, H-U-E. He tells me of the years that went before me, when heavenly plans were made for me to be. When all was but a dream of dim conception to come to life, Earth's radiant glory see. When all was but a dream of dim oh, I can't read this. When all was but a dream of dim conception to come to life, Earth's radiant glory see. My God and I will go forever together. 
We'll walk and talk as good friends should and do. The earth will pass and with it common trifles. But God and I will go unendingly. The earth will pass and with it common trifles. But God and I will go unendingly. I just love that. I mean, don't you? That's what I want to have. My God and I go feel, through the fields together. We sing, we laugh, we talk, we clasp hands. But I think it's supposed to be that real. I mean, I want to believe it should be that real. Well, I think it's that real to David. God and me, me, 37 times. God and me, God and me, God and me. All right, so let's move into this. Now, I came up with, and I've kind of given up on doing this, but for myself I needed to come up with sort of an outline. It's not perfect. It might not even work exactly, but we'll, we'll just go with this, and we're not going to necessarily look at it this way, but I want to at least break it up for you as I sort of saw it. First off, there's the what, and that's verses 1 through 20. And he talks about troubles and deliverance. Troubles and deliverance. The second point is, that I, in my outline, the why. That's the purpose. And the purpose is to build David's relationship with God. So there's troubles, God brings deliverance. That's the what. Well, why does God allow or bring troubles and then give us deliverance because it's through that that we learn just like David to build a relationship with God I wish it was always through floating on the clouds on the mountaintops and that that's where we would really learn to get to know our God in a relationship but lots of times because of who and what we are we have to go through some troubles and God has to deliver us and as we go through that that builds a relationship any marriage it's not been perfect you have gone through troubles, and you come to the point of reconciliation, and if you've come through it the way you should, that builds the relationship, right? It just does. That's the way it is. I mean, of course, the good times too, but it's as you go through those valleys, and you struggle, and there's troubles, and then you come out, and you have deliverance. That builds relationship. Point number three, uh, the wherefore, or that's the what's the result pressing forward. So there's troubles and deliverance. God's building a relationship between him and David. Why? So that David can press forward with life. And that's just, this is life in a nutshell. Troubles, deliverance, building a relationship with God, move forward for him. And that's, that's kind of how I see Psalm, uh, I keep saying Psalm, 2 Samuel 22. Uh, so <laughs> that's kind of the relationship. Now, we're not going to stick with it. I'm not going to preach it that way, but that's just how I see it. Now, an example of God and me, and then after this, I'm just going to read verses, comment, and we're going to walk through it. An example of this God and me thing. There's several of them, but verse 33. For who, uh, sorry, God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. I know there's no me in there, but it's still the same thing. God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. Now, what I, when, and I don't know what one of the times reading through this, that just verse kind of just spoke to me, jumped out to me, uh, however you want to say it. So my thought was, interestingly, before verse 33 is the God, where are you, period. So before this God and me, where he recognizes that, at least in this verse, God's his strength and power, he makes my way 
perfect. There's a, God, where are you? And, and I, the way I saw that, again, if this isn't quite exact, please forgive me. Just kind of go with it and come up with your own. But what happens before verse 33 is, is three things that stuck out to me. First of all, he talks in verse 17. It says, uh, uh, verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 7. In my distress. So we're getting to the point where he's really seeing God in verse 33 as his strength, his power. He makes my way perfect. He's going to go forward with God. Well, but before that, verse 7 is, in my distress. And just so I say it now in case I forget, I probably won't. I, I'm just, see, I've said this over and over probably. You might think this way. I always expect God to not have me go through distress. You know, to me, God is supposed to be my on-hand distress reliever type guy. But David says, in my distress. So that's part of the where is God. If you've ever been through a period of distress where you're under distress and you don't understand what's going on, you know, and you're being, it seems like attacked or it could be health, it could be marital, it could be family, it could be job. Who knows what? You're, you're just going through this stressful period. And, and who hasn't come to the point of saying, God, where are you? I mean, I, I, maybe I'm the only one. I hope you can find comfort through this. But I've had, hello, God, moments, you know. And I think David does too. Um, another one, verse 19, that I liked. Uh, they prevented me, we might come back to this later, the word and all. They prevented me in the day of my calamity. So my distress, my calamity, and then, I love this one, verse 29. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, O Yehovah. And Yehovah, the Lord, will lighten my darkness. My darkness. I just, who wants to admit you go through periods of darkness where you're just down and you're in the depths and you can't see any hope and there's no light? You're in darkness. You know, you don't find many people that want to acknowledge that, even to themselves who are believers. But the truth is, I'm thinking, and if not you, at least I know David, hit periods when he was in darkness. It just seemed like, and who knows, maybe it's during one of those times he's hiding out in the cave, and it's very dark in there, and it's like, you know, here God, I've been anointed, he finds himself running for his life from Saul, and he's, now he's in a cave. <laughs> How did that work out? So, that's an example of God and me. And I just think sometimes before we can get to the sweetness of that relationship, where we're walking through the fields together, hand clasping hand in hands, and laughing and joking, and we're having that intimate time with God, I think by and large most people, most believers get there through the difficult times. And that's why I love David. Because if you read his Psalms, he is so stinking honest, it's scary. but it's refreshing. I like honesty. I, I don't want the happy, smiley face all the time. I want to know you're real. You know, Paul says we can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we've been comforted by God. So at some point in time, we need a comfort. Why? Well, it's when we build relationship with him. Well, why? Because there's going to be other people. When I listen to myself, I sound like such a New Englander hick. I hate listening to myself. It's horrible. It's like, wow, 
this guy sounds weird. Um, but you build that relationship. And uh, I forget where I was going with that. Anyway. All right, so let's, let's start and let's look into this. Now, like I said, we're going to, it's a little slow at first. When we hit about verse 32, 31, we're going to just go through the rest of it. But I think it, it, this, this, this builds momentum, at least for me. You know, it's like, oh, okay, we're going there, yeah, I'm struggling, and then God opens up his, uh, uh, he says here somewhere that God just kind of opens up things for him. All right, so, um, I love verses 1 through 4. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song. So, I hadn't thought about that until this morning. It's, this is one of those early mornings again, 2 o'clock, I'm up, it's like, okay, here we go. So I'm reading through this, and this really... You know, this really ministered to me, and, and I, I tend to be overly critical on this point, and I acknowledge this, but it bothers me in the Messianic movement that some factions of us are just hung up on praying, wrote prayers, written out. Anything wrong with that? No, I told you I have my own verses that you know, I've taken from the Bible, and I pray them every morning. I do sort of the same thing, but they're mine. They're God's word. It was something that I did. I have a hard time praying these rote prayers, whether they're the Jewish liturgy or some of our own Messianic liturgy. This, what we do, is, is short, and I can handle that. But what bothers me is we can talk to God. That is a big deal. And I think we've lost the wonder of that. I can remember getting saved thinking, wow, I'm talking to God. You know, I'm, I'm, he's hearing me somehow. It's, it's like Edison. I think with ten, Edison, is he the one who did the telegraph? Um, no, it's Tom Morse. Morse, was it Morse? Yeah. Right. One of, whoever did the telegraph and sent the first message out there, he said, what hath God wrought? He was just blown away with the fact that this communication is traveling there. This is my point, whoever did it. It should blow us away that this communication here travels there. Wherever God is, I like the fact that David spoke unto the Lord the words of his own song. It makes me wish I could write stuff. I've tried. Honestly, I have. You know, I've, I'm going to come up with something. Make and it just it just never goes anywhere. But folks, he he starts out this journey with, hey, you know what? This, I, I told God all about this. This is what I can. What I. <laughs> These are the words that I uh, spake unto the Lord. This is cool stuff. So, in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul, and he said. So that's the time frame, but you think it would be simple. It's not. If you go in and read this, we don't know basically when this is. To me, it sounds like it's immediately or somewhere around at the time when God delivered uh, David out of the hands of Saul. But you know what? I, I want to think, okay, God's fixed it. I'm never going to have a problem again. You know, God fixed that. I won't face it in the future. Well, that may be why Psalm 18 or, or whatever is a little bit different. I don't know if you think as I think, but, you know, just because God fixes something at one point doesn't mean you won't have to revisit it or need to revisit it. So, you know, in other words, what I'm saying is David, it's not like David didn't have any more enemies after Saul delivered him. If you read his life, 
there were a lot of enemies, a lot of people didn't like him. His own family members didn't like him. All right, verse 2. And he said, so verses 1 through 4, basically, he gushes forth with overflowing praise. And he said, Yehovah, I have a hard time saying Yehovah, so the Lord, it just, I don't know why. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. It's almost like every word he could think of to describe his God, he, he comes up with it. And it's just like, to me, it's like wave after wave after wave after wave just coming in. It, you know, because I've tried to analyze all this and go through it and look up meanings of the words and put some semblance to it and progression or whatever. I, I don't think it's any of that. It's just, he was just sitting down, going to write something out, a song for God. And, you know, it's like the first word that comes to your mind when you hear red, stop sign. You know, something like that. Or stop, the first thing, you, you know what I'm saying. So it just was bang, 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 bang. And so he's just gushing with this praise. He's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He's a God of my rock. In him I will trust. He's my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. You're the one that saves me from violence. I'm going to call on you. It's pretty cool. So I, I, I do, did kind of get wondering, uh, the Lord is my rock. And then verse 3, the God of my rock. I, I, I've always wanted to try in my own mind to make sense of, you know, what verse 2 or 3 is kind of saying. Is there a difference? Because first off, the Lord is my rock, and then all of a sudden you have verse 3, the God of my rock, or God is my rock. I think it might be like this. Um, verses 2 through 4. The place he runs to for safety, he likens to God. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock. But he acknowledges that it isn't the place of safety that saves him, but God who provides the place of safety, verses 3 and 4. So perhaps, you know, David is running from Saul. Who knows what the circumstances are? He, he crawls up in this high place of safety, or perhaps he finds a little uh, place to hide amongst the rocks. Maybe he's in a cave and so, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, all this stuff. But, as I think of it, then it becomes easy to think of those things as what is providing me my safety. If I can get up to the top of the rock, climb into the cave, get in some little secret place in the midst of all that, okay, good, God provided the way, I'm there, but that, if we're not careful, can become that which we trust in. And I think that's part of the problem with the children of Israel. God does a bunch of stuff for them. They praise him for it. But after a while, they lose sight of the God who did it and then start to flip it around and get their focus all messed up on the things. So he acknowledges that it's not the place of safety that saves him, though God has provided it and though God himself is it, the Lord. That place of safety isn't what protects him. It's a God who provides the place of safety. Now, I don't know if that helps. I don't know if you've ever even thought about this verse, these verses. But that's how I, I view it. God, I need help. God gives us help. Okay, you know, you win the lottery. Woo well, now, not that we play the lottery. If you ever win and want to give it to some of us, I'm sorry. <laughs> my mom would get mad at me because I didn't play the lottery. But she'd say, oh, of course, if I win, you're going to want some of my money. I said, well, of course. 
you know? You know, so you, you win the lottery. You know, you, you're destitute, your taxes have went up in your town, you don't know how you're going to pay them, you're mad at the local people here in town that are passing these things, and so now, but then God somehow presents you with more clients than you would ever know that you're going to have, you have extra money coming in. Well, you were crying out to God, he provides the extra clientele, and after a while, the clientele becomes that which is now that deliverance. And is after a while we forget that it was God that gave the extra clientele. Now I need to keep that clientele because I need that money. No, no, no. Now what we need to see is we flip around. This clientele here, God gave. You can take it away. That's not what's going to sustain me. It's the God that gave me that clientele. That will sustain me whether I have that clientele or lose it or not, right? That's how it's supposed to work. This is huge and this is why I love what David said. This is, this is life. And, and it's so easy. You know, God allows trouble, brings trouble, and we're down and we're desperate and we need help. We get it. And all of a sudden now we're basking in that help and forget, hmm. And then we start to think, well, that which God gave is that which now will sustain us. And it's not. And David learned that. How did he learn that? <laughs> Experiencing it, right? I mean, this, is this not huge? To me, this is huge. And this has been Israel's problem. We need food, God. We need water. You know, they're grumbling and complaining. God gives it. Three miles down the road, God, we need food. We need water. You know, they don't learn. They don't learn. We're the same way. The focus becomes the water and the food and the quail. You know, because I, I, we're the same, but I read this and say, how did you guys forget? God just gave you all that. Didn't you just get yelled at and a bunch of you got killed? Judy had an interesting thought because reading through this. She, and she, I love reading with her because she has this mind that I don't think I, gotta, I should say too much. So, um, you know, they're, they're dropping like flies. And Judy says, well, God, I forget if I put words in your mouth, but God had to kill them off somehow. <laughs> All of them were going to die that were over 20 years old anyway, so God had to get rid of them. I said, <laughs> she's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, God had to get rid of them. Well, then my mind goes crazy with that because that, I never thought of it that way. Well, they're going to have to die somehow, so how are they all going to die? Well, God knows they're going to be disobedient. It's, the mind of God, oh, you know, the mind of God, and to think that we can talk to him commune with him, this God that is so far beyond us will steep down and say, you know what, you need a helping hand, I'm here, take it. We'll walk through the fields together. If you put how big and huge God is in contrast to us and our perspective, then we come to where David is and we can really praise him. All right, so now, let's see, let's move on. Uh, okay, verse 5. So, like I said, I'm breaking it down. You think we'll never get through here, but we will. Um, verse 5. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I read this, it's like, this is cool. Because David is this incredible warrior. We're going to see how God strengthened him and how, what a warrior he was. And I don't picture David being afraid. So every time I, I, I think about, oh, David just admitted publicly. I see, I, I, I at times am afraid, but I don't want to tell you that. I'm afraid to tell you at times I'm afraid. Because I'm not, I'm not supposed to be the guy that's afraid. 
I'm supposed to be the guy that helps you when you're afraid. You know, and then I heard John Piper talking about how he didn't fear death, but he was afraid of dying. It's like, wow, I can really respect that guy. That's being pretty vulnerable. He's, he's publicly given his own psalm. I'm not fearing dying, death, but I'm afraid of the dying process. Now, you know, there's many verses that says, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. But David's just said, well, he's been afraid. So my mind says, okay, how do I reconcile this? This is what I came up with. Whether it's right or not, I don't know. There's a difference between being afraid and being overcome or overwhelmed with fear. Now, does that make sense? I think this is right. There's a difference between being afraid and being overwhelmed or overcome with fear. Also, what makes one person afraid might not make someone else afraid. In other words, my fears might not be your fears and vice versa. The one thing that I, I always get frustrated with when I decide to open up and I'm sharing my fears, my, my, what makes me afraid, that person, whoever went that way, didn't mean to, but who, that person doesn't understand it because that's not their area of being afraid, right? So when you open up as David is and become vulnerable, chances are you will not be understood because not everybody has the same anxieties that you have, but there is somebody somewhere along the line that you will be able to minister to because not everybody has the same things that make them fearful. So I don't know how to not be afraid, but I think God does not want us to be overwhelmed and overcome with fear. Now, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but understand or at least try to grasp it. You know, what time I, the psalmist said, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. And, and Pastor Green sent me that verse which, I, of course, I knew it but hadn't thought of it when, when I found out I had the cancer. And he just him being the something wonderful pastor that he is that I have had really very little contact with and since we left there, but have had a fair amount, I guess. You know, he sends me a verse, What time I am afraid, I will trust in God. So what's that verse saying? We're going to be afraid, but we will not be overcome or overwhelmed by fear. And I had to struggle through that. And I felt guilty because I was afraid. And I think, you know what, maybe we don't have to feel guilty when we're afraid. We shouldn't have to feel guilty anyway. But I was feeling guilty for being afraid. I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. When it turns into fear that overwhelms and overtakes us and overpowers us, that's the difference. All right. uh, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Oh, I'm sorry, that's verse 7. Verse 6, the sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented, prevented me. Now, if you have a King James, the word prevent doesn't mean what it means now back in the day when, when they did it. But, you know, if you, take, if you look it up in, the, in, in Webster's original dictionary, it means to proceed as something expected. So the sorrows of hell compassed me about the snares of death proceeded as something expected. In other words, he knew that traps of death were being laid out before him. And that's really what it's saying. 
Um, the sorrows of hell surrounded me about, and, uh, let me get back to my notes here, traps of death were laid out before me. Snares of death prevented me. Traps, snares or traps, right? You know, you put them out there to hope that that poor little critter is going to just step into them and you got them. Or, you, you know, if you want to get mice and so you put stuff on it and they claw up and fall into the bucket of water, poor things. And uh, so the snares of death, the traps of death were laid out before me. Boy. Verse 5, waves of death compassed me. The floods of the ungodly made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. <laughs> Traps of death were laid out for me to step into. So what's he doing? <laughs> this is causing a little bit of distress. I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he heard me out of his temple. Cool. <laughs> cool. And I don't know what that means. How does God hear like that? You know, I got made fun of by a pastor that I worked under years ago because um, I had a professor at college, and I don't do this, but I, I respected him. He said when he gets up in the morning, Mr. Boyd, when he got up in the morning, to have devotions, he shaved, he showered, he put on his good clothes, and went before God for devotions. And I was telling this other pastor years later about that. And me, being as childlike as I am, I really want to believe that I'm in the presence of God. Is that? He's, so this pastor that I was working under said, do you really believe that when you pray, you're in the presence of God? Wow. Am I stupid? <laughs> I don't know. I felt like, and I said, yes. And that was like revolutionary. I don't get that. Am I crazy? Tell me. I'm, I want to believe that David said he heard me out of his temple. I want to believe I'm in the presence of God when I pray. I, I, I believe I am in the presence of God when I pray. Now, I'm not all dressed up. I'm in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> having my devotions in the bathroom. I always have my devotions in the bathroom. I have pretty much my whole saved life. You know, Mr. Boyd wouldn't like that. And I just kind of figure out God somehow can deal with this. You know, he's God. So... <laughs> I'm going to believe that when I pray, I'm in the presence of God. And I want to visualize it that way. When I stand in the morning before that window, point north in the bathroom, going over my verses, praying them to God towards Jerusalem, I want to believe I'm in His presence. Call me crazy, but that's my God. If that fellow can write to him, my God and I walk through the fields together with clasped hands, I'm not an idiot. And I want us to realize that it's like that. If you know Yeshua as your Savior, you don't need to pray world prayers. You can go right to the throne of God. You don't even have to hold out the scepter and say, can I come in your presence and hope the king doesn't kill you? Gosh, now how can God handle how we come to him? I don't know. But I do know the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. This is the way I look at it. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. 
Yeshua makes intercession for us. To me, I figure it's like coffee going through the filter, keeping the grounds out. That's how I view it. And that's how I see it. I don't know how else to see it because if I were to come into the presence without the grounds going through the filter of, of the Holy Spirit of Yeshua, we, I'd be dead. I hope I'm not too childlike. See, one of the reasons I hated about preaching and still do is I tend to be so stinking honest. And when I'm trying to be a blessing, others will come and say, well, Pastor, do you realize that it's not really... And I want to say, and I cannot, I don't care what you think, I'll do it your way. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Just go away. <clears throat> That's where I am now. I need... This kind of relationship with my God, or I'm not going to make it to the end. It's just not going to happen. I, I just can't do it anymore. I am out of strength. I am not young enough. I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the mental capacity. I don't have the physical ability. It's just not there anymore. You know, and so now it's either God, you sustain me. You be my rock. You be my fortress. You be my savior. You be my shield. You be my buckler, or I'm dead. God, Satan is laying out traps of death for me. I need you. Now, verses 8 through 16. This is so cool. So, 7, I prayed my distress, called upon God. He heard me out of his temple. Now, I don't know how to explain verses 8 through 16. And I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not going to try. I'm going to give you what I think. I don't know if it has to be very technical and difficult. To just kind of maybe just... Get the feel, all right? So, so I prayed, God heard out of his temple, and it came into his ears. God steps into action. Then, the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions, that word Sukkot. And he made darkness Sukkots round him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him were coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above. Oh, I'm going too far. Am I going too far? Anyway, I forget where I am. Uh, 16, yeah. So what, what does that mean? <laughs> Okay, so, here's the questions I have. So, so was this a vision? You know, did, did God sh kind of show him, all right, it might not appear this way, but I'm on the move here, and things are going to happen. And he draws this parallel, just like, oh, this is happening, David, I'm going to do it. I don't know. You know, is this how David envisioned it? Or, you know, was able to explain, you know, how God acted on his behalf? Is he speaking metaphorically? The pulpit commentary had, a, I think, a good note, and I picked out just a part of a sentence or a sentence. And I think this is good. These verses are intended to magnify to us the spiritual conception of God's justice coming forth to visit the earth and do right in equity. And that's as good as I could come up with. 
These verses are intended to magnify to us the spiritual conception of God's justice coming forth to visit the earth. And we know when Yeshua comes back and it's all done. I mean, it's like, and it's all going to be just, you know, taken care of. But you know what? In our own personal lives, there comes times when we need God to act. It might not look like this, but he acts and does what is necessary. All right. Um, verses 22, let's see, 16. So, oh. Where am I? i got to get up to 22. All right. 17, he sent from above. He took me. He drew, out, drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me. You know, every time I see that, whether somebody hates God or somebody hates David, it's like, man, I, I don't think I'd hate David. I wouldn't want to hate David. I'd want to be his friend. I think I'd have, you know, I want to have a Jonathan-David relationship. Uh, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. It's a word for prop. It's what kept them up. God kept them up. He brought me forth also into a large place. Now, that's what I was talking about earlier, how God brought him and opened up, got him out of that darkness of caves, just kind of started to pave the way for him. He, he also uh, brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And uh, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. There's a whole lot I can say on that, and they're going to. Uh, verse 22, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him and have kept myself from mine iniquity. I think these verses are key to who David was as a person. And I'll just let you flesh that out on your own. But there's just some really good stuff in here. Um, 22, I have not wickedly departed from my God. 23, I did not depart from them. 24, I have kept myself from mine iniquity. I mean, that's pretty good stuff. So that's why some think that this is before the David and Bathsheba thing, and we're going back a while ago, and before <coughs> David really tripped, stumbled, and fell. Um, but, you know, this is, I think, and if you read my blog, it's kind of where I was going with that blog. This, is, this reveals to us who David is. You know, I've kept the ways of the Lord. I've not wickedly departed from my God. All his judgments were before me, and for his statutes, I didn't depart from them. I was also upright before him, and have kept myself from my iniquity. You know, if we could just, if we could just harness this to, uh, uh, and not wickedly depart from God, not depart from his statutes and his judgments, and keep ourselves from our own iniquity, <laughs> we'd be doing pretty good. You know? We, we just most times struggle keeping ourselves from our own iniquity. You know, we have iniquity, sin, whatever that definition for that word is. You know, iniquity. It's just stuff we struggle with. All right. Oh, good. We're moving along here. So where did I end up? Um, okay, so this is pretty good now. Cool. Um, 25. Therefore... I don't know if I read this. 25. Therefore the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. And this, I love this. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, uh, thou wilt show thyself pure. And then this part. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. I, I love that. With the froward... Thou wilt show thyself unsavory. So I started thinking about this. Savor. You know, if you savor something, I, I don't know if I'm writing this, but I always picture, you know, my brother-in-law, sometimes he liked to just eat something and kind of just not roll it around in his mouth, but 
allow it to be in his mouth so that he could absorb all the nuances of the food, you know, because it tasted good. All right, this word unsavored. So I, I started thinking about, well, what does it mean? You know, with the fro word, that will show itself unsavory. And whether this works or not, I don't know. This is what I thought of. Unsavory, something that's unsavory. It's like the little child, you know, so I'm talking like the little kid that is still in the high chair and you're starting to feed the kid sort of solid foods and you have, if you still feed it this way, I don't know, this maybe date me, but the little jars of applesauce and, you know, bananas and, and all that, you know, and all that good tasting stuff. And then you decide you need to expand a little bit. So unbeknownst to that little kid, but you know it, this has been days of, wow, this stuff tastes good. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, mothers decide it's time to eat beets. <laughs> so here's one, mm, here's good, mm, oh, and another one, mm, beets. <laughs> you've all seen it, right? The recoil of the kids, you've seen them probably on Facebook things where, you know, it's the last one I've seen that, show, that Judy showed me, it's been a while ago, that this kid gets this reaction on his face, it recoils. Why? That's, compared to what he'd been eating, pretty unsavory, right? Okay. So like the little child that recoils when given unexpectedly the first bet by the beats. Now, <laughs> what's, what's, so God, uh, with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. So how, this is, again, I, I sound like I'm apologizing for myself. I probably am because I, I just think so childlike. And Although when I read commentators, it's like, well, I'm just as smart as they are because some of them say the same exact dumb things that I say. So, I, so, so, we're, so, God, so, so what's David saying? He's saying, okay, God's pre, a pretty good God. With the merciful, he's merciful. With the upright, he's upright. With the pure, he's upright. But those guys that want to be forward, perverse that walk against his ways, God is going to be unsavory. That is just cool. So in other words, like that kid that gets the beads and... <laughs> the person that doesn't want to have anything to do with God, to them, God tastes like that bite of beads to them. There's no explanation for other explanation that I can come up with. Because they've been feeding on the things of the world... But God says you can't live on that stuff. You need me. So God enters in and he is the spoonful of beets. <laughs> because it's so foreign to what they have been experiencing and wanting. God in my life, it's like now the end of the world. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, I can't go here. What are my friends going to say about me? Are they going to laugh at me? All of a sudden, this God who loves you so much to send his son Yeshua, Jesus, to die for you, who evidently is in the process of saving you, or you got saved, all of a sudden, now you're out there dealing with the world, and, and you're afraid because to them, this God of yours is unsavory. You know, I got saved and went home. You know, my salvation from the life I lived was so dramatic, and my mom even told me twice, like, Tip, I can't believe you're my same son. Well, you know what? I thought that would be a good thing for them to get saved. Wow, you would have thought I just threw the whole bottle of beets down their throat. They didn't want anything to do with it. God was unsavory to them. Or 
Because of their rejection, God was unsavory. And, and that's what this says, you know. If, the, if people want sin, that's what they're going to feed on. And when God does come to bring deliverance, if they're not seeking or God's not pulling them or however it works, they're not going to want God. And so every unsaved person who ever may listen to me, why don't you want him? Because he is unsavory to you. Turn with me, hold your finger here, go up to 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. My mind went to these verses, which I think is, you know, of course Paul was familiar with the Tanakh. Nothing, it's nothing new, it's just we think, wow, look at that, you know, this new thing Paul came up with. Well, it's not. We just don't know how to make the connections. But I think we're beginning to see the connections, right? We read in the New Testament now what we used to be told was, well, this is something new. It's like, well, wait a minute, this is not new. You know, Paul, Paul knew this stuff. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Anyway, uh, let's see. Verse 14, 214. Now, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest the savior, savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Messiah. In them that are saved. And in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. And to the other the savor of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things? It's all in the hands of God. Why is it that no family member of mine that I know of, after I had gotten saved, never got saved and still isn't getting saved? I don't get it. I don't get it. Except God knows their hearts, They've made a decision towards God already. And since they're rejecting him, have some beats. <laughs> right? You know, that's why you should, should, could say to those people, hey, we've cast out demons in your name. We've preached in your name. We've done miracles in your name. And, and he does say, oh, you know, I am so glad to hear that. I, I appreciate the fact that you are out there doing that for me. What does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. You who are Torah-less. You don't want the Torah? Then you don't want me is what he's saying. And the reason you don't want me is because the me that I am that you don't want is like those beats. We think this is harsh. It's not harsh. We're just, we live in a pathetic society, especially in our country. You can't say anything about anything negative or, because if you do, you're not being kind. No, you, God is being unsavory to them because they've made a choice. They don't want God. And so you speak the truth. It's like, how mean you are. <laughs> no, they're saying, God, we hate you. They hate God. Just get it in your heads. Yeah. The, the world hates Israel. Why? Because Israel's just this pure thing? No. Because God says his name will never be blotted out and unbeknownst to them, evidently, 
The last part of their name is El. Israel. I don't know where, where I'm coming with this or where it even comes. <laughs> All right. Where am I? I'm almost through here, and then we'll just fly through the rest of it, okay? Um, so we've already talked about, and I won't belabor it, uh, 28, in the afflicted people thou wilt save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty that thou mayest bring them down. How unkind. How unkind of you, God. No. Okay, I'll re-preach the same thing all over again. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. You know, I hope that will minister to somebody. And if not now, maybe later, when you're in the darkness, you know what? It's not because you're necessarily a bad person. It's not because you don't have faith. It's not because you're too stinking afraid. There will be times of darkness. Not because of deep sin. It's just, God, where are you? And you may be in that cave where David's hiding, and it's just dark. All right, uh, let's move on. For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God have I leaped over a wall. Now here's a couple verses to memorize. And whether or not you want to, I don't know. I have 31 and 33. I'm working on them. I have in the past doing it again because I never remember what I've memorized. But this verse 31 is a good one. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Now, buckler. I won't go into all the theories of this. I think it's this. It's, it's, from what I've gathered, if you, if you Google buckler, you're going to see all these big round things that look like Frisbees. You know, to me, I always think of the trash can, the old-fashioned trash can lids with the handle, the, the, the silver ones, kind of, that's about the size. Only instead of the handle being on the top, it's on the underneath. And so it's convex kind of on the outside so that whatever's being thrown or will kind of slide away. So it's about 18 inches around. So what I think David is saying here is, so he's, in, he's a man of war. And we're going to see that a little bit. He's a man of war. So we're assuming he's right hand. So he has a buckler in his left hand, right? But it, it's a small shield. It's, it's a personal defensive thing. And it's small enough so that, you know, while he's battling this off and he's fighting, he might out of the corner of his eye, I think it's something that's easily and quickly maneuvered. It's maneuverable. To get safety there, uh, protection there immediately as it's seen. And, and I think what David is saying is those blind spots where I'm going to be blindsided, those traps that are laid out before me that I don't see, and, and I, I, I might not react quick enough, my God is there. Don't walk there, you're going to die. Here comes that. And God is David's buckler. He's that small shield. If, if you don't see it and if he's not that way to you in your life now, ask him to be. Because I don't know where we'd be. I'm, you know, if, maybe when we get to heaven, God's going to play back privately for us how he came through in our life in unseen ways where he was just like, well, I didn't know, God, you were there to protect. Well, why do you think you didn't go that way? Well, I don't know. <laughs> right? Matthew Henry said, we can thank God that God has kept us from ourselves, Because left to ourselves, we destroy ourselves. 
Well, how does he do that? I don't know. That's why when I get on my bus and I pray, and I feel like an idiot, and the cameras are on, I'm at the back of the bus, and I'm sure if they ever look at him, they're what is he doing back there? <laughs> and I'm praying, eyes open, and I'm saying, God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit will somehow be present in me, and, and it will radiate somehow through me, and that your Holy Spirit will be here, Father, and that your holy angels will be in this bus and around this bus and protecting us. You know, if that's stupid, then call me stupid. You know, was it Elisha that the poor guy, we, we read it not too long ago, it's like, oh, look at him, we're going to get killed. God said, open his eyes so he can see, and all around are these chariots. He couldn't see them. I think they were chariots. God's my buckler. Right? Protecting us from what we can't see that's going to blindside us. I told Julius Moore driving up here, said that one of the reasons I want to die sooner than later is I want to die before I mess up. <laughs> you know, I want to die before I mess up. Well, been plenty of opportunities for it. Come pretty close. Unbeknownst to me, there's that buckler. Right? There's that buckler. All right, now I'm going to wind down because I have no more notes. So let's just read to the end. So as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God? Save the Lord. And who is a rock? Save our God. I think that goes back to what we already looked at. I tried to explain. God is my strength. Here's the other verse. God is my strength and power. And he maketh my way perfect. So as for God, his way is perfect. He's the one that's going to make my way perfect. Not sinless, but you know what I mean. If you understand this, God's going to do in me what needs to be done because he's the one that is it. He has it all. And he will work in me to become more like him. Oh, I wanted to turn to this. Oh, I'm going too long. How long have I been preaching? Let's do this real quick. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. So it goes, how does it go? Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Right? Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Did I get lost? Joel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. And we're there. Okay. These are other verses to memorize. I have a hard time with them because I can't remember things in succession that seem to kind of build on one another. But it has to. So where am I going with this one? I am told you. We'll get there, I'll tell you. Verse 34 says, He maketh my feet like hind's feet, and setteth me upon my high places. If you haven't memorized these, I find them difficult. I've done it, and I don't know if I could get through them now. But I love this. All, so we're in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. I mean, this is a whole picture of desolation. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. Poor farmer. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls. I mean, everything's gone. Yet, and I can't do this. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Why? The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Just what David is saying. He maketh my feet like hind's feet and setteth me upon my high places. All right. Now, I know I'm supposed to stop. I want to have a mental picture of 
David in your mind. Verse 35. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. Wow. I think you have to be pretty strong for that. Right? Yeah. You know, David is not this flesh, flush, little pink-faced person with the nice curly little hair and dress so effeminate. He's Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> the Philistines run! I mean, you have to have some strength to be able to take a bow of steel and bend it. <clears throat> but God taught my hands to war. I'm just at a loss at the stupidity of people that just God is love, war is bad. Well, yes, He is a God of love, and war is bad. But it doesn't mean sometimes God doesn't angry, get angry, and you have to fight wars. And if we're going to fight some wars, then God needs to get us to where our arms can bend bows of steel, spiritually speaking, or we're just dead. All right. 37, oh, 36, thou hast... Uh, also give me the shield of thy salvation. Thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me so that my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and turned not again until I had consumed them. <laughs> and I have consumed them and wounded them that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Then that rose up against me hast thou subdued under me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked, but there was none to save, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then I did beat them as small as the dust of the earth. I did stamp them as the mire of the street, and I did spread them abroad. <laughs> oh, that's like Yeshua going in and throwing over the money table, changer's table, right? Or Moses taking the golden calf and just smashing that thing and making them drink it. You know, every time I read that, I, I try to visualize it. I did beat them as small as the dust of the earth. You know, he's caught up in the mall. I stamped them. Um, as a mire in the street, I, I, I just... Oh, gosh. We need the reality of Scripture to permeate us, not what we think it is, but what it is. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of my people. Thou hast kept me to be head of the heathen. A people which I knew not shall serve me. Strangers shall submit themselves unto me. As soon as they hear, they shall be obedient unto me. It's like, no, I don't have to face him. Okay, okay. They're going to bury me or not. They better know what's going to happen if they don't. Strangers shall fade away and they shall be afraid out of their close places, no matter where they hide. It's like, oh, we better get right because David's about. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. It's God that avenges me, and that bringeth down the people under me, and that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent men. Man. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing thy praises. He's a tower of salvation for his king. He showeth mercy to his anointed, unto David, and to his seed forevermore. Let's pray. Okay. 
morning. Father, I, I hope I've been able to communicate something that will just spark a fire in us, God, to, to realize that the same God that David had, in the same perspective, in the same sort of exploits that he did under your power, you, that's the same God we have. And I think, oftentimes, speaking for myself, I just, my, because of the way I react to stuff, and, and it's so not how you want, it's like I've made you so small. Whereas David makes you so big. And I think for me, part of it has been my own things that I've allowed to overwhelm me and overcome me to where I just am overcome by doubts and fears, anxieties, worries, questions, wonderings, my own self. Because you're bigger than all that. And I want to see you as David portrays you. Yes, we know David is very real, and we know his life had the ups and the downs, but that is life. You remain constant. David knew that, and that's why we remember him as somebody that loved you. So, Father, just work in our hearts, I pray. Excuse me.